Good evening, everyone. Tonight's class is titled Souls, Kedusha, and Klipa. Today we're making a summary of chapters 1 through 8 of Tanya. And next week we will continue with chapter 9 through 17. One of the issues, in my opinion, could be wrong here. One of the issues in the education today is that we set the bar too low. We get easier and easier on the students. We have smaller and smaller expectations. And the smaller the expectation you set, the less they're going to do. The Rebbe once shared that whatever you want from your child, you need to do double. Every child thinks their parent is perfect. So the child says, if only I could be like my, my parents. And they're willing to basically accept 50%. Wherever the bar is, we could ask David here if he agrees or not, but wherever the bar is, that is, that is it. That's where, children are, that's where we're going to try and get to. I absolutely agree. And the first thing we set down in the first page and a half of Tanya, which is quite difficult, but the first thing that we set down is that our bar is extremely high. If we look at a tzaddik Benini in Russia in the general halachic terms, if you remember halachically a tzaddik is someone who's only sinned 49% of their lives, a Benini is someone who has sinned 50% and 50% of his life done mitzvahs and a, and a rush is someone who's done 51% of Averis. That's the halachic terminology. Well, I want to say that that is a very low bar for all of us to try and be. Basically, you're telling someone your job is to be a Benini do whatever you want, just make sure you don't exceed 40, 50%. It's quite a low bar. The first thing that we do in Tanya is we establish that our ability is tremendous. Our ability is one, to have no sin. Okay, so now you only want to do 50%, so be it. But you should know your ability is to be someone that is perfect in his thought, speech, and action. And this includes every single person in this room as the state opening statement, it's exceedingly close to you. But in order to understand that, the first eight chapters focus on the soul. And here in this page, I must say, I was trying to find a good image to depict the two souls. And when I saw this image, I thought it's, it's perfect, it's amazing. You see over here, a young lad, and he has two other people on him. It's, this is exactly what it is. This is exactly the truth. There is a, one person that has two people within him. What's that book called? Dr. Jekyll? Mr. Hyde? How did, That's it. did I say it correctly? Did. This is really what, who we are. We what, was, are oh, what was the book? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, oh, okay. This is truly who we are. We all have two personalities. We have the, bl the blue guy that's Sadiq, and we have the brown guy 
not a rasha, but an animal. We have the godly soul and the animalistic soul. This is truly the way it is. And I'd like to look at the first three verses in the, in the middle of the page. You know, in Isaiah and Yeshaya, we learn that Hashem says, I make souls in the plural. Souls from here, this, soul, this pasuk is a proof that each and every one of us have more than one soul. Unishamot, in the plural, doesn't say unishama, and a soul. It has a vav saf at the end. Unishamot and souls I make. In each and every one of us there are souls. There is an animal soul and a godly soul. Verse number one. Verse number two. Kohelet. The Almighty has created one thing opposite the, the other. Zelumat zeasa lokim. One opposite the other. Free choice can only be if they are really true truly two opposites. If you have a hundred, if you offer someone one hundred dollars and the other fifty dollars, that's not free choice. You're going to go for the one hundred dollars. You know, I want to thank uh, Len Berman for bringing the cookies tonight. The cookies relative to the chips, it's not free choice. Everyone's going to go for the cookies. I aspire to, to high uh, <laughs> Avera, just 18 percent. 18%? Well, then you're, you're, you're guaranteed to be a tzaddik in heaven. <laughs> So, free choice means that it's truly 50-50. Well, Hashem says that there is a full animalistic soul and a full godly soul. That's verse number two. Finally, verse number three. One nation shall prevail over the other. This is a reference to Yaakov and Esav. And we learn that when Yaakov is ruling, Esav is down. And when Esav is ruling, Yaakov is down. In other words, it is impossible for someone to say they have an active, completely active godly soul and simultaneously have a completely active animalistic soul. That is not possible. This is a very important principle looking ahead. You cannot come and indulge in pleasure and at the same time think that you are truly a tzaddik. They are contradictory. So number three is a big foundation in our connection with God. Again, it is impossible to truly connect with God and simultaneously indulge in things that are, that are prohibited. Okay, three introductions. Are we good? Let's look now at the godly soul on the right-hand side. Nefesh Elokis. Ooh, I apologize. That's a big mistake. It says animalistic soul. That's quite a drastic mistake. On the blue, it should, be, it should say godly soul. The nefesh elokis, the godly soul, blue. Each and every one of us have a godly soul. What is the source of the godly soul? Chelek eloka mima'al mamash. Literally, truly a piece of God. Inside of each and every one of us, there is a piece of God. And just this past week, I was talking to someone on Shabbos actually and he said he struggles very much. What do you mean that inside of each and every person here there is a piece of God? So now you're breaking God up into pieces. We're not going to answer that question now. But truly inside of each and every Jew there is a part of God. This was the Shekhinah we talked about last week. Yes. And it may not be revealed, but it is there. How can it be? 
And we gave two examples. I still remember Dr. Yosef had a fantastic question when we learned that we learned that the Pasuk tells us regarding Adam Harisho and Vayipach Be'apav Nishmas Chayim. God blew into the nostrils of Adam, a spirit of life. And blowing, how come you could talk and talk and talk forever? Not forever, but you could talk for a while. And yet when you blow up balloons, it takes out a lot of energy. You could blow up only a limited amount of balloons. Seems like forever. Or seems like forever. When you blow, you're, you're giving out a much deeper part of yourself than when you talk. Talking is external. When it says that Hashem blew into Adam HaRishayin, it's saying he, Hashem gave His essence in, into Adam HaRishayin. And similarly, we are called Bani B'chayri Yisrael. We are all called Hashem's firstborn child. And a child sources back to his father's brain. Every single detail of a child, the nails, the fingers, the eyes, the ears, the brain, the heart, of course, every single detail of a child sources back to his father's brain. How can it be? How can the brain of the father be the source of the entire child? The child has so many, so many different parts, so many, so many bones, limbs. How, how can it all source back? So the father is the essence of the child and the mother takes that essence and breaks it up into many, many pieces. That is the nine months of pregnancy. And similarly, every Jew comes from the essence of Hashem. The difference between us is how many months of pregnancy, so to speak, we have endured in the Seder Hishtal Shalut, in the um, coming through the chain of the world. So we all source back, like that child, that every part of him, we are all one body. We've discussed this in the past. Together we all make up one body. Some of us are the brain, some of us are the hair, some of us are the, are the nails. Each and every one of us is a part of the body. And this body of the Jewish people all sources back like a child to the essence of Hashem. So the first soul, the nefesh of Elokit, is a chelak elokami mal mamish, literally a part of God. On the opposite extreme we have in the orange, the nefesh abehamit, we have the animalistic soul, he comes from Klipat Noga. And later, on the back side, we're going to discuss what exactly Klipat Noga is. But let's turn back now to the two souls. And what you see is literally identical. You have two souls and under them you have the same exact pictures. Each soul has how many parts? How many parts does every soul have? Not how many sephirot does every soul have. How many parts can every soul be broken up into? Three. Five. Oh. Now I put down three here. But truly five. Nefesh, ruach, neshama, chaya, and yechida. So how come I cheated and only put three here? Well the answer is, in heaven there are many announcements made. Every day we learn in Pirkei Avot, kol yom v'yom, every day there's, there's announcements made about who, who everyone is going to marry and about the, um, there's a heaven, heavenly voice that comes out every day and says, woe is to the person that embarrasses the Torah. That's from Pirkei Avot. There's so many announcements made. Who hears those announcements? You hear it. But the two highest parts of your soul hear it. Chaya and Yechida. The two highest parts of your soul hear it. The three lower parts, and those are the three I've put on the page, Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama, those three lower parts all enclose themselves inside of you, or inside of us. 
Okay, so now let's try this again. We have two souls. And each one of these souls has three parts. Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama that enclose itself in the body. Now, bear with me. Each one of these three parts within each soul has its own ten sefirot. Each one of these three parts of each soul has its own ten sefirot. So quickly, share with me how many pairs of ten sefirot does each person have? Twenty. Infinite. Fifty? Right now we're going to how many, right, how many pairs, meaning how many sets of ten sefirot does each person have? Sixteen. Three. Right now we're going to say six. Each one of these three parts, nefesh, rach, and neshama, in, of the animalistic soul, and nefesh, rach, and neshama, of the godly soul, each one has its own set of ten sefirot. Tanya says it's an infinite process. Correct, but I want to kind of limit it for right now. All right. 60. Say it again. It will be 60 altogether. It will be 60 sefirot in total, correct. Right, right. But if you include those other two parts, the, the Chaya... Yes, Chaya and Yechida. Yeah. They, have they don't. They're in heaven, and they are not broken up. To have ten sefirot is a limitation. That means you're already broken up into something. The two highest parts of our soul aren't broken up into ten sefirot. Does the animal soul have the, those two highest parts? Absolutely. Um, ooh, ooh, that's a good question. I'm going to say yes now, but now that you're making me think about it. But I believe so, yes. I believe so. I may be mistaken about that. Good question. Okay, so right now we have six sets of sefirot. Three of the animalistic soul and three of the godly soul. Correct. So that's why only those, and also only those three have sefirot. And let's go through the ten sefirot. How many sefirot do you see in each one of these two sets? Eleven. Eleven. Good. There's 11. So why am I saying 10 if there's 11? Because kids are interconnected. Very good. We're going to say the top item you see, the keter, the crown. For now, we're going to exclude that from the count of 10. In many, in many Kabbalistic terms, keser is, an, is a reference to the essence of Hashem. The 10 he wrote, the 10 faculties that each one of us have, our Chachma, the highest wisdom, wisdom is that initial brilliant idea that makes no sense to you. It's when you're sitting at a computer trying to do a math problem and you say, I figured it out, and yet you still need to break it down now. You tell your teacher, I got the answer, and then you have to take a pen and paper and see if it matches up. Chachma, wisdom, is that initial is the idea. I have an idea. But now, t writing it down, calculating it, that's going to be Bina. That's going to be understanding it. That's recognized by psychologists in that, in academic terms, it's referred to as the gestalt, the insight that suddenly causes a flash, and the brain connects it all, but we can't always explain it. Fantastic. So the insight is going to be Chachma. 
Bina is the understanding. And Das is meaning what you're saying. We know there's people that they don't mean what they say. They have no Das. Das, they translate it here as knowledge. In the Torah, Das means to connect with something. That sounds a lot like, um, I don't know if this is off topic, but Azilu, Rhea, and Yitzhara. I'd like to hold that off for now. Good question, but I want to focus. We could talk about that later. Das is to connect. You can understand something and lack the connection. There are many people that they understand something, but they don't connect with it. They are missing Das. The biggest example of missing Das is a child. Children can understand the most brilliant concepts and yet it means nothing to them. You know, they say that this concept, at one point, people challenged it. They came to Rabbi, they said, it's not true. This young child, he's brilliant. He's truly an adult. So the Rabbi says, okay, go ahead. Have him give a class. The child gives a class, a brilliant class. In the middle of the class, a train passes by. And the child in the middle of the class jumps up and runs to the train to see it pass by. No, that's true intelligence. <laughs> and the rabbi says, that is the lacking of das. That's what it means. There's no connection. You could understand something, but it doesn't have any value to you. No das. Are we good so far? Go ahead. Good question. Um, I understand these attributes to the, uh, the godly soul. Yeah. What does it mean when like, the animal soul has like chachma? I mean, what, what does that mean? Lions are very smart. They could be very shrewd. They still need to think how to get their food. Oh, okay. So the animal soul, when it has chachma, that means it has to plan out how to do something inappropriate. It still could take brilliance. Unfortunately, 9-11 took a lot of brilliance. So there is Chachma, there is Bina, and there is even Das. There is even connecting with that unfortunate idea. Yes? Where does Chabad come from? Chachma, Bina, and Das. Thank you, David. So to, the truth is, and thank you for pointing that out, to be a Chabad Chassid means, to be Chabad means that you're someone who applies what you're, what you're learning. That's re- literally what it means. Chabad means to have wisdom, understand it, and apply it to you. If you don't apply it to yourself, you're a chab. You're a chab, you have chachman bina. To be chabad means that you take, your, it means to be a real person. That's what chabad means. It means you learn something and you live with it, you do it. Okay, we've now covered the first three attributes and those are called, these are in generally, they're, they're referred to as the intellect. Chachma bin Adas, our intellect. Now let's talk about our feelings, our emotions. Okay? We begin with chesed, kindness, to be kind. We continue with givura, severity. At times we need to be strict, we need to be tough. King Shoal. In last week's 
Two weeks ago, before Purim, we learned how King Shoal went ahead. Let's take back King Shoal. I meant Shmuel Hanavi, a, a, a kind person. He went ahead and he killed King Agag. He killed someone. That's what God said. That's what you got to do. You could be as kind as you want. But there's times that we need to be strict. There are times that we need to be tough. Then comes Tiferes. There are times that we have to be strict and kind. We have to be beautiful. We continue with Netzach, victory. There are times that we have to say, I'm going to stick this through. And I'm going to make it happen. Nothing's going to stop me. There are times when we have to have hoy. We have to have splendor. Splendor means, I am way above this argument. I'm not even going to deal with it. I'm, a, I'm above it. We're, we're greater than this. We're not going to lose focus. Yisaid, there is a foundation taking something and foundation means to get it done. That's Yisaid. Yisaid is, is the beginning of getting it done in Malchus. Kingship is the actual finishing act taking whatever it may be and making it happen. I hope I didn't get you upset. Pardon me? <laughs> no. The, these are the ten sefirot. Are there any questions? Okay. Remember, there are six sets of sefirot inside of you. And you'll see that in the animalistic soul, in the godly soul, I highlighted in blue the top three. And in the animalistic soul, we highlighted the bottom, the bottom six. And the reason being, because this is essentially what makes up the godly soul and the animalistic soul. The godly soul is, is led by his intellect. The intellect leads it. And that then feeds into the emotions. The animalistic soul is led by its emotions. Exactly, Dr. Yosef said. So where is your intellect? Well, the emotions tell the animal, animalistic soul, I really want to eat that, now, now how are we going to make it happen? And then the wisdom kicks in. But the wisdom is secondary in the animalistic soul. So what would be chesed in the animalistic soul? Being kind or teaming up with people that are inappropriate. Givura would be being inappropriate to godly people. Being strict, saying, I'm going to stand up for, for bad. The exact opposite of good are the tense of wrote of the animalistic soul at times. Because now it sounds like I'm saying the animalistic soul is bad. It's not bad. And there are ten sefirot within each sefirot. Well, let's leave that for now. Correct? But I'd like, I'd like to leave that for now. And now, on top of the ten sefirot, we have how many garments of the soul? Three. Three garments of the soul. And that is what you see on the outside of the sefirot of each soul. You have the, the man thinking, you have someone talking, and you have the sign take action. Each soul has its own garments. Essentially, there are two kings fighting. There are two kings that want to say, Jonathan, I want to be in charge of you. That's exactly what's going on. Melissa, I want to be in charge. There are two kings telling each and every one of us, I want to be in charge. You know, I want to, and that's why I love that picture so much. It's so true. Each one of us on our shoulders has these two little people, but they're real people. 
talking to us and fighting over us. And so who are you? That's a good question. Who are you letting be you? Who are you? Which one of these souls are you today? There are two separate souls within you. So when I look at, when each one of us look at another, we don't know who we're looking at. Who are, who is controlling you at any given time? It's a good question. And only you know the answer. Only Hashem knows the answer. Yes? What are the differences between Nefesh Ruch and Neshama? I'm going to leave it for now. Forgive me, you're asking great questions. What we need to know about the garments of the soul, about thought, speech, and action are, that we can accomplish more with the thought, speech, and action than our soul itself. Our soul itself, the godly soul, is a part of God. But it's hidden. We can't see it. But when we go ahead and think about Torah, think about being good to someone else, think about how we're able to go ahead and support another person, when we go ahead and talk about Torah, when we go ahead and, and talk about creating good energy, we talk about creating, lo creating love between our fellow friends, or when we go ahead and take action and we make it happen, we are revealing godliness. Our, the garments of our souls are able to reveal godliness. We may have godliness hidden within us, but the garments can reveal it. And unfortunately, the other way is also true. Inside of us, there may be some negative energy, but it's dormant. Well, if we think about something negative, if we talk about something negative, or if we do something negative, we have drawn down our animalistic soul. We have drawn down the person. So the garments have the ability to take us to one extreme or to the other. And that is why the Torah says, "Velosasuru The Torah warns you: guard your eyes, guard your eyes. Make sure to not see anything inappropriate, to hear anything inappropriate. Make sure to not, because, and that's why the Gemara says, "Why do our eyes have lids? Why are they necessary?" Just a question: Are there any animals that don't have? Eyelids? Fish don't have eyelids? Yep. So why, why do humans need, need why do humans need eyelids? And it's for this reason, says the Gemara. To close off something inappropriate. You know, there's also I once heard you, like literally the the outside of the ear, if you press it in, it literally covers the ability to hear. Is that true, Dr. Yosef? I'm sure it is. <laughs> Hashem has created us with the ability to not get sunken into what's going around us and it's up to us true David? <laughs> please so could a shomer or a um, a police officer who has to could he be holy and be looking at evil things to, to protect the society you're asking a very good question. Do you want the answer? Do you want the answer? <laughs> yes, you have to. Yes, you want the answer. <laughs> now, I'm not going to tell you that there aren't some police officers who are adversely affected by that, but if you don't maintain an even keel, you cannot do your job, and you cannot meet the higher purpose of protecting society. Uh, I thought about that constantly. It's funny that you should bring it up. Because there's people that you could just, 
if you thought you could get away with it, you would just cheerfully shoot and leave. And you can't do that. No, and I want to actually add to what David said. This past Friday, I went to a security conference. Um, the, it was a full-day conference in Hillsborough. And unfortunately, they were showing video clips, and a, whole, a whole to-do. But unfortunately, one of the biggest troubles and, and the stories they were repeating was the downfall of a police officer, where he had um, you know, been in, in, in uh, situations and he really you know, went haywire. So certainly, um, and this, so the police officer is a good example. It is our responsibility. You remind me of a Gemara. The Gemara in Saita says, who is a stupid chassid? Chassid shoyte. It's a very strong word. The police are calling. <laughs> the Gemara says, who is a chassid shoyte? The Gemara says that if, you see, if a man sees a woman drowning and says, I'm not going to save her because she's a woman, he's a, he, he, he's a, he's a stupid. That, so, in other words, that's exactly to answer your question. Certainly, if in any situation you may be, you have to do what's necessary. But you need to guard yourself. Well, what about the situation you just mentioned with Shmuel? Yeah. I mean, he didn't just kill King Agag, he chopped him up. Yeah. Then there was a situation with, what was, sorry, what was the man's name who was made a Kohen for killing the... Pinchas. Pinchas. So, I mean, isn't it a little bit like that also? Then, I mean, those were necessary things, but it wouldn't be considered, would that be considered the animalistic soul? It's inspiring those, it's actually the godly Shmuel? In, in, I got it. If someone is standing up for God, that's going to be the godly soul. Right, no matter. Yeah. Well, okay. Right. In both those cases. Right. 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 Yes. Yes. I mean, Garrison gave a fantastic example. Pinchas killed two people. Are you familiar with the story that uh, the Midianites were trying to make the Jewish people sin with their daughters? And Zimri, the leader of, of one of the tribes, he went ahead and he took one of these women which, and he had a relationship with her which was a terrible, a terrible sin. And Pinchas went ahead and he killed them both. He killed, he killed two people. And yet, because of that, he became a Kohen. He's the one person in the history of the Jewish people that became a Kohen. It's impossible today to become a Kohen, but he became a Kohen. So completely, Garrison is just pointing out that standing up for godliness is completely from the godly soul. Yeah. Thank you, Garrison. So our, the garments of our soul actually can elevate us. Let's turn the page now to look at the three different types of klipa. And this really is a very important discussion on what is holiness, what is unholy, and what is in between. And forgive my pictures, you may, you may not appreciate the fact, you may not appreciate making it so practical, but I, for myself I thought... I appreciate Dr. <laughs> Thank you. I thought it may be helpful.
We're soon going to begin chapter 18. In chapter 18 of Tanya, we learn about the Merkava, the chariot. In two places, the Torah talks about this chariot of God. It is so precious, these two places, that there are people that have a custom that just when we read about the chariot on Shavuot, you need to stand up. It's a, it's a Haftorah. It's not even within the Torah. And yet it's one of the only times that we learn you should stand up. Who, what other parts of the Torah are you supposed to stand up when they're read? Ten the Ten Commandments. So in a sense, this may be on par with the Ten Commandments. There's a custom that many have to stand up when the story of the chariot of God is read. Now I can't tell you the story because the Gemara Chagiga says sets a lot of limitations to it. I can tell you, I can tell you in short. But the, the Gemara in Chagiga it says it's such a serious topic that you could only talk about it in specific settings and specific scenarios. But in very short, Hashem sits on a throne made up of four different made up of four different wheels. What are the wheels? The wheels are a human and animals. A human, a bird, a lion. You know, the lion is a non-kosher animal. Hmm. But we'll leave that for now. This, but just to share, this, it's so fascinating that, that there are some synagogues will not allow a lion into their shul because of the fact, I mean, not a real lion, even just a, a depiction of a lion, they won't allow. What? That's wise that they won't allow. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's a real. But even just because in some shuls, I don't know if you've seen it next to the ark, they have like two lions on the side. There are some people that halachically won't allow it. Why? Not only they won't allow it, I know a personal story of a synagogue where they had marble lions and, and the rabbi said we need to take axes and bang it down. Why? Because any of the f- items depicted on God's throne were not allowed to make statues of. Now there's specifics within it. I'm not telling you that's not the clear halacha. But it's just to share that these four so to say wheels of Hashem's wagon they are extremely esoteric. What about the Lion of Judah? I got the question. But they are extremely esoteric and extremely deep. And yet when we learn about this vision, about the chariot of Hashem with the four wheels, the vision begins and says that there was fire and there was translucent light. It shares four different terminologies about this energy that was in front of Hashem and that energy was negative energy those energies are the three of those four energies are referred to as the three impure klipot those are the source of the three impure klipot that can never be elevated to good and that's what you see on the bottom someone talks lashon hara if they steal if we eat non-kosher these things source their energy comes from the three impure klipot. And we can't elevate them. Then we have the fourth type of klipot, and that is the translucent light that was seen in this vision with the Merkava, with the chariot. The translucent light, you know what translucent means? Translucent means it's kind of see-through. Do what you want with it. Take it where you want to go. That's the in-between. 
Someone got a new car. That could be amazing. What are you doing with your new car? Someone's going on vacation. It could be amazing. They're going to rest up. They're going to re-energize. What are you re-energizing for? Someone is having this pancake breakfast. Fantastic. Why are you doing that? Anything that is permitted, it comes from this translucent light. And why are we doing it? You're here right now. Why are you here? Are you here because you're trying to, you're trying to I don't know, run away from another reality? Are you here to learn? Are you here to be elevated? Whatever we do in life that's allowed, what is it, why is it being done? And many items that we're allowed to do are from this translucent light from the Klipas Noga. That is the second level. And then comes Kedusha, holiness. Holiness is anything connected to Hashem. Putting on tefillin, woman lighting Shabbos candles, learning Torah, writing a Sefer Torah, giving tzedakah, any mitzvah. Helping an older person, making a blessing before we eat, whatever it may be. That is clear Kedusha. We are attaching ourselves to Hashem. Three different types of realities that we can attach to. Are we going to allow ourselves to attach to inappropriate items? Are we going to allow ourselves to attach to Klipas Noga and, and do with it what we want? Or are we attaching ourselves directly to God without question? And the animalistic soul comes from the middle. That is exactly the point. The animalistic soul is Klipas Noga. Do what you want with it. You want to take your animalistic soul and elevate it? Fantastic. If you want to take your animalistic soul and draw it down, you could do that also. That's where it is. It's in the middle. And as we've discussed, the godly soul is very mellow. It just wants to sit and learn a whole day. It's not, gonna get, it's not so good at getting things done. If you want to get stuff done, get the animal involved. Get the animalistic soul involved. The two are really a pair. The ultimate is to take the animalistic soul and on top of it, put the godly soul. So let the godly soul direct the animal. And we're going to get stuff done. That's where free will comes in. <coughs> Tell me again. That's where free will comes what in. What do you mean? You can direct the godly soul. The animalistic soul. You can, you can, well, or the animalistic soul. It has to be your free will that brings them together to accomplish the purpose. Fair, fair. And I want to share one more point. We'll summarize and take questions. With this understanding that inside of everything there is inside of everything now there is godliness, even inside of the Lashon Hara, even inside of the thief stealing that money, even inside of the non kosher food, there is godliness. But what is that godliness? How do we term it in halacha? How do we what's the term for unkosher food? Is it Trish. mutar or is it asur? Asur means it's locked up. Matir Asurim, someone who's in prison, we say he's Asur, he's locked up. Well, we should call unkosher food, we should call stealing Lashon Hara, we should refer to it as um, yeah, low kosher, not kosher. But we call it as trapped. Why? Because there's godliness that's trapped inside of it, you can't get it out. Is that what treif means? Trapped? But asur means to be locked up. Mutar, on the other hand, means matir. Matir means to be no, no. For uh, permitted is is it is a meaning of it. But matir means to release. 
Mm. Mutar means released. Something that is allowed to be eaten, that's because the energy of God can be released. I'll take your question one moment. So let's put it all together. Inside of every single item in this world is godliness. And you have the ability to decide what's going to happen with it. There are items we should have no connection with, the three impure klipotes. There are items that, that connect us directly with God, like lighting Shabbos candles. And then there are items that you, this, you be the judge what's going to happen. Fantastic. Drinking a coffee. Well, Liz drank a coffee to come to the class. That's amazing. So then she's taking this klipat noga and elevated it. Well, some people could, could drink a coffee to stay up late and think up, you know, that, that there's, that's going to be drawing down that coffee to no good. We all have two souls. Each soul is a, is a mastermind of its own. It has its own, its own world surrounding it. Naturally, they're fighting against each other. And it is up to us to make sure the godly soul wins. This is a summary of the first eight chapters hmm. of Tanya. Len, please. What is the distinction with pasul? Is that something that is kasher and then became uh, inanimate? Or like uh, when you have a, an etrog and the pitom is off and it's pasul. So then it's not kasher, but it was originally kasher. Pasul comes from pesel, no? Right, well, what does pesel mean? I hope. Right. 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 So is there a, where does that fit, fit into the whole kasher and trade? Well, we don't think of food as possible. Objects are possible. It's a, you know what? It's something to look more into. It's a good question. Yeah. I'd like to look more into that. Pesel and pasul. Good, great question. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I just want to make a comment about something Gary said before. Um, so we talked about Tinsel and So. Um, I, I think if you, you, you look around the world, I mean, especially like in the Muslim world and so on, there's, there's a lot of people who, who are really uh, you know, doing the, uh, you know, they're, they're appealing to their animal soul, but they think they're doing it on the, on the basis of their godly soul. So I think it's, 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 you know, human beings seem to have this, um, Danger that they that they you know they like to attribute their whatever their motives are to to you know let's say the godly motive where it's really maybe coming from the uh, the other side. Doctor Joseph is making a great point. Go ahead, David. The ability to rationalize. Yeah. You know the the Mishnah literally says that anyone who fights l'shem shemaim for the sake of heaven, it's going to last forever. That fight, like Hillel and Shammai, they fought, and forever we talk about their fights. Someone who is fighting without the sake of heaven, this fight's not going to last. But our, we have a, there's like an expression we learn, and if you kind of play with the words, anyone who thinks they're fighting for the sake of heaven, they're going to fight forever. And if you, if you know you're not fighting for the sake of heaven, then you'll be able to make peace. And that's kind of exactly what Dr. Yosef is saying. That yes, there are people that they, they have convinced themselves they're fighting for the sake of heaven, and that fight will never stop. You know, they're going to they're go full force, unfortunately. I hope this is not a nitpicky question, but could you clarify uh, what are the chayot? What, what, how do they fit into the chariot? Because I, if I remember correctly, they're always portrayed as the one that supports. There are different types of angels. We say in davening, there's ofanim, there's chayos. And within the chayos, 
Chayos literally means animals. So sometimes the animals on the chariot, the ox, they, that is called a chaya also. Dependent, you have to be specific. Depend on where the word chayos is, we could see what exactly it's referring to. Okay. Yes, Len. You were saying earlier on about about the soul and and uh, uh, the Jewish nefesh. What 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 does the Torah say about goyim and their soul? Great question. So the Torah says that every single item, any every single first of all, of course, every single human being has godliness within them. But only a Jew has two souls. Only a Jew has a godly soul and an animalistic soul. So if a, if a Goy converts to Judaism, he, he gains a soul? Yes. But not only does he gain a soul, but we, it's very cool. You'll see, if you spell... The, how do you say a convert that converted? How do you say a convert that converted? Ger Shaniskayer. In Hebrew, you say a convert that converted is Ger Shaniskayer. It's the same word. And that's because we know that a convert was always a convert. He just needed to reveal it within him. You know, we say that the soul of the convert was by the giving of the Torah also. So essentially, you're, in a way, you're just revealing that second soul within him. Yeah. Any other questions? That would have already been announced in the Chai and Yechida anyways, before they were even born, right? Can I ask? I, I don't want to I'm, I'm not sure. Probably, but I don't want to make that conclusion. Yes. So what are you saying about a convert? Uh, I'm saying that a convert, after he's converted, reveals what he always had. He's not, in a way, he's not becoming a new person. He's just revealing his essence. So he's revealing his second soul? That's right. But which second soul is that? The godly soul. Okay, so he's always had an animalistic soul. Right, right. Okay, okay thank you very much, everyone. Have a wonderful night.